You may be seated. We just heard the story of the prodigal son. This is a story brilliantly told in which it is not hard to find ourselves all over the place. There are those times we are the younger son, the prodigal son, making reckless choices, taking all that we can, squandering what we've been given, and perhaps even hurting those around us in the process. And there are those times we have been filled with the pride and the anger of the older son, the older brother who is self-righteous and indeed selfish in his own way. And we've also known what the father has known, deep heartbreak and painful loss. And for all the members of this family, the younger son, the older son, and the father, in their own way, there is a real sense of isolation and aloneness. They are broken apart, and they need to be made whole. And I can't help but to also see in this story death, that enemy that is out to get us all the enemy of peace, the enemy of joy, the enemy of our relationships as it seeks to take away those who are most dear to us. Capital D, death, and all the little deaths we experience daily, they are seeking to undo life. We cannot contend with death on our own. We know we will not win. We need a Savior, which is why in Christ, God enters into death itself. And in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, it is the death of death and the bursting forth of the life that truly is life. Today's gospel story is a story about the lengths to which God will go to give you that life. Let's spend some time in the story and see what we might hear today. The story starts out with the younger son. Now, we we know, right, that the, the younger son is the bad son. One day he asks his dad for his share of the inheritance. We think that he is a no-good, selfish, greedy young punk who's only concerned about satisfying his own desires. And we're probably right. It's pretty bad. But it's actually worse than that. The young son is not just irresponsible. He is shameful disgraceful, reprehensible even. He isn't just asking for an advance on the inheritance that will one day be his. He walks up to his father and in essence says, Dad, you are dead to me. So give me my inheritance now. Dad, you are dead to me 
give me the money. And his dad does. And the son takes it, metaphorically digging and spitting on his father's grave. And then he leaves. And then, to add insult to injury, the younger son squanders the money. He wastes it in extravagant, excessive living. The older son later offers, us what, offers up what no good acts he thinks his brother has been up to. And the situation just keeps getting worse. The son is shameful. Okay, so what about the older son? He's the good son, right? He's the one who stayed home. He worked the fields with and for his dad. He does what is right. He knows what is fair. He is the responsible one. And then his younger brother comes home. And his dad welcomes him home. And we're probably not surprised by the older son's reaction. Being the responsible one, he says, well, this isn't right. This isn't fair. What about me? I stayed home. I never complained. I sure as heck didn't break up the family farm in order to squander the proceeds on extravagant living. And then the older son lets his father know just how angry he is. He refuses to go to the party that his dad is throwing. Which seems like a pretty good way to get your point across. It maybe seems reasonable to us. But in that place and time 2,000 years ago, it was anything but reasonable. In fact, not only was it not reasonable, it was as shameful an act as what the younger son did. By refusing to go to the party, and now, of course, the whole community knows about it because they are all at the party. By refusing to go to the party, the older son is saying just what the younger son said. Dad, you are dead to me. I refuse to live by your standards. I refuse to live by the community's standards. I'm not going to do what you say. I am not going to abide by your decisions. Dad, you are dead to me. The older son was no better than the younger son. Shameful. Naturally, this is deeply upsetting to the father. He loves his sons. And even after all this, he wants his sons to live, to live in his family, to live in their community, to live lives of joy and freedom without shame and disgrace and dishonor. He wants his sons to live. Is there anything that he can do to make it better? Is there anything that he can do to remove the shame and to redeem their lives? When the young son returns home, having shamed himself and having shamed his family and having shamed his community, 
having made himself an outcast and having lost everything. What does the father do? Uh, We know the father welcomes the son home, which is remarkable in itself. But there is more to the story. Even before the young son has a chance to beg for forgiveness, even before the son has a chance to say one word, the father is running out to him. But here's the thing. Scholar Kenneth Bailey points out that in that culture, men did not do that. Men would not run out to their son. And not only is he running out to get him, he has to hike up his robe to do it, which means he is exposing himself to the world in order to run out and kiss his son. And then, not only that, the father gives him presents, the best robe and the family ring and new sandals. And finally, to top it all off, slaughter the fatted calf, we're throwing a party. For the shameful son. To us, it seems like a nice, if extravagant, thing to do. It is generous. It is gracious. But in that time and place, the running and the exposing himself and the presence and the party for this son who shamed his family and the community... These were not nice things to do. They were actually shameful things to do. For a father to act in this way for the son who shamed himself and his family is itself shameful. And then there's the older son. How will the father repair the breach there? He leaves the party that he is throwing for his younger son. He leaves the party that he is hosting for the whole community. He leaves the party in order to plead with his shameful son. The father again, as you may now be expecting, the father chooses to act in a way that is shameful. This is more than a poignant fable encouraging us to be better parents. This is more than a tug at the heartstrings in order to get us to be more gracious and more forgiving. This is a shocking story about the lengths to which the father will go in order for his children to experience reconciliation and restoration, and life. Not a facsimile of life, true life. This is a story about the lengths to which God will go to bring you life. In order for his sons lives to be redeemed and restored, to give his sons a way past their shame. The father himself becomes shameful. 
He reduces himself to their level. He exposes himself. He sacrifices his name and reputation. He offends the cultural standards. His sons say that their father is dead to them. And in that society, by the father's own shameful actions, he becomes dead in order that his children may have life in his family. And these are the lengths to which God, our Heavenly Father, goes for you. This is what happened on the cross. In the death and resurrection of Jesus, God took on shameful flesh so that all you who are shameful, all of us who wander off attracted by the world's ways, all of us who are self-righteous and prideful, all of us who squander what we have been given, all of us, period. God knows that you are more than your brokenness. And so he will run to you and he will embrace you and bring you into his feast. He will do nothing less than sacrifice himself. Because when it comes to you and the restoration of all creation, God will not let anything stand in his way. Amen.